I'm sitting here with my good friend, Marco Caracari, sipping Cosmos. I imagine, Marco, you might be sipping a Cosmo. And uh, Marco, you are going to read a short story from the Saints and Sinners anthology, from last year's anthology, but you also were just uh, nominated uh, for this year's anthology, which is exciting. I'm excited to hear it. Tell us a little bit about it. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, this year, um, that's a fun little story that I got to write that's taking place in Palm Springs. I'm very happy that they included it uh, as one of the finalists. Last year's was uh, sort of my first attempt at noir. Uh, I've always loved noir movies and books and um, did not write noir when I did uh, my debut novel, uh, Blackout. But this story had kind of been bouncing around in my head for years, and so... Um, I was happy to finally get it written a few years back and then uh, for Saints and Sinners to think it was good enough last year to include in the anthology. Um, it's a uh, darker tale, definitely more fitting maybe for Noir at the Bar uh, than Blackout was. Before. Whenever I think of the day the police found my friend Grace Peterson, I smell tuna casserole. I was carrying the glass dish out to the Peterson's farm shortly before five. Its flavorful scent in my nose, the tinfoil's metallic flutter in my ears. It's been 30 years since that, uh, that October afternoon in 88, my sophomore year of high school, and I hadn't touched one since. Grace had gone missing two days earlier, after leaving school around three and never returning home. Sheriff Bowman, his two deputies, and a group of volunteers had combed her little town in search of her without luck. As I approached the Peterson's humble old farm with its two medium-sized barns, the setting sun doused everything in a warm golden hue. My mother made me wear a nice white shirt and beige dress pants, and the muggy air turned my skin damp. Dirt and pebble crunched under my blue sneakers and, gripping the casserole tighter, I averted my eyes as wind like a hot breath of dust ruffled my blonde tousled hair. I'll never understand why people send food during times of crisis. Whoever praised pot roast for saving the day after losing their wife to a long battle with cancer or mac and cheese after their husband wrapped his car around a tree at 60 miles an hour. I had no spit to wet my lips, and with every step the pressure in my chest increased, tightening my sense of foreboding. I'm sorry, Kenny, this must be very hard for you. I know you two are close, Sheriff Bone had said to me in the principal's office the day before when he questioned several of us at school. Built like a linebacker who overindulged in beer and junk food for years, He'd outgrown his uniform, punishing its fabric something fierce in all the kinds of places. Despite his stature, bald head, mustache, and intimidating gun, the bags under his eyes always reminded me of Droopy from the Texas Avery cartoons. Best friends since kindergarten, right? He tried for a friendly smile, maybe to put me at ease, but his eyes showed pity. Yes, I said, sitting on a chair, my legs pressing hard against its metal legs. He scribbled on a notepad, you and Ryan Hollister. I nodded once and pushed my glasses up the bridge of my nose. But Ryan's family didn't move here until second grade. Ryan was a good-looking kid, but, like me, somewhat introverted, and many classmates had treated him like an outsider. Not Grace. On the second day, she dragged me over to the newcomer during recess, and the three of us formed a lasting friendship over apples and pears she brought from the farm. You guys spend a lot of time together? I picked up my beans. Yeah, well, used to. What changed? Uh, my grades, I said, not meeting his eyes. Uh, my parents hired a private tutor twice a week to make me get back on track. Nothing wrong with them wanting you to succeed, he said, nodding. But I see how that doesn't leave much time for your friends. Did you see Grace yesterday? Between classes, around two. Did she seem different to you at all? I shrugged. No, well, maybe kind of upset, 
but she said it was nothing. I didn't tell him I knew she lied, but not why, and that it hurt my feelings. He wanted to know if Grace had trouble with classmates or teachers, but she got along with everyone, and I told him as much. What about her brother, he said in a level tone, but the twitch in his left eye didn't escape me. Bruce Jr., who'd returned that June after six years at the juvenile detention center out east. He and Grace were thick as thieves, despite their five-year difference, but he never had any use for Ryan and me. They got along fine, I said. I was the one scared of him. Did she tell you about their fight? I shook my head no, but I'd heard the rumor. There was a time it had been the first to know. Did you see Ryan yesterday? Uh, yeah, we have class together, and I stopped by his house to borrow his notes from for homework, but he wasn't there. You didn't leave together? No, he, he didn't feel well, and Mrs. Brennan excused him early. Is that why he didn't show up for class today? He said, watching me closely. I shrugged again, wondering about that myself. What time did you go to his home? Um, after class, around 4.30. Any idea where he was? No, I said, but I had my suspicions. Sheriff Bowman sighed. Grace would tell you if she was in trouble, if anyone was bothering her. Yes, I said, still wanting to believe that, even though I knew it was no longer true. And you're sure you don't know what upset her? No. The lie came so calmly, so smoothly, it surprised me. I hadn't known what bothered Grace when I ran into her, but did by the time Bowman asked me. Sorry, Kenny, this must be hard for you. I lowered my head, eyes welling up. I promise we're doing everything to bring Grace home safe. But his words didn't make me feel any better or alleviate my fears, and I couldn't get out of there fast enough. Truth was, Grace, Ryan, and I, we all had secrets that summer. Most we shared, but some we kept even from each other. And one by one, all began to unravel. That was great, Marco. Uh, really powerful stuff. Thank you. So what drew you to noir? Like, Why did you make the shift to writing noir? I know you've continued to as well. Yeah, uh, I so I have these two sides to me, I guess, um, <laughs> where I see humor in almost everything. It doesn't matter how dark it gets. I can always find like a little bit of a light or a little bit of a humor, humor situation. And I love to laugh, and I definitely wanted to uh, put some of that into the debut novel, Blackout. So that was more of a mystery, thrillers, um, you know, with, with light banter, but then also some serious issues. And at the same time, I have these uh, very dark moments when my mind goes to completely different <laughs> places. And I felt like, you know, that actually needs room, too. So uh, the short story, Grace, is definitely one of those where um, it just gets a little darker. And I didn't really – I was looking for closure but not a happy ending. And um, I just finished a manuscript that's hopefully becoming a series. Um, and that is also – uh, kind of dark. It's set here in Palm Springs, and I'm very excited about it. Uh, hopefully, it'll go somewhere. Agents will let me know, I'm sure. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yes, I, 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 it's a great manuscript, so I'm, uh, I'm super excited. And, um, Thank you. And, and, and darkness, does, it doesn't seem very Palm Springs, but it is. <laughs> With all that sunshine. <laughs> yeah, Palm Springs isn't... It's not all sunshine cocktails and Sinatra parties, <laughs> although that's what people see. There is a pretty dark underbelly to Palm Springs, what? which um, no. is fun to write about. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of dark underbellies, uh, Joe, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> what's going on? To 
Ja. 